we are back. You know, I'm sick of talking about politics. We've been doing that a lot today. We did it a lot last week. Of course, we do that in a run-up to an election, but I hope that um, uh, later in this month and in December, we'll be talking about some other more fun stuff than the dreary world of politics. You know, in the lead-up to the election, it does appear that there's going to be some, uh, some big changes across the country, but then again, maybe not. It depends on how they count the votes. We're encouraged by the fact that uh, there's been a lot of coverage of late to the possibility of some, uh, you know, things really going wrong, courtesy of, uh, of fraud. Uh, certainly in 2004, what happened in Ohio was uh, very suspicious, as it was across the nation. We've talked about that at length. Two years before, in 2002, uh, people maybe don't realize that there were really seven startling elections that year six of which had surprising electoral victories for the Republicans, raising the possibility of some funny business. Uh, Well, more than the possibility. And, of course, that was preceded by Election 2000, the Florida fiasco. So we're hoping that this time, uh, you know, America won't be an embarrassment, as we unfortunately have been for three straight elections. They were talking on Terry Gross yesterday about the situation in Cahoga County, uh, Cleveland, that is, in Ohio, where in the 2004 election, people were waiting in line up to nine hours to vote. This is something out of the third world. In fact, there was an article uh, quoted in the Week magazine by Joram Nyathi of the Zimbabwe Independent. Noted Nyathi, last month, police threw 15 labor unions in prison and beat them with truncheons. A few hours later, the union leaders limped, bleeding, out of the station with broken arms and ribs and burst eardrums. They showed their injuries to the press. That incident produced appalled headlines around the world. But President Robert Mugabe refused to see anything wrong with the officer's behavior. Some people are now crying foul that they were assaulted, he mocked. Yes, you get a beating. When the police say, move, move. If you don't move, you invite the police to use force. Well, we haven't quite descended to that depth uh, here in the United States, but, uh, you know, the, the elections that have taken place in Zimbabwe of late have been a sham. And uh, I hate to say it, but, uh, you know, we don't look that much better. But the Republican lies about Iraq and the mismanagement of our economy have a lot of uh, diehard Republicans disgusted. Christopher Buckley, the son of William F. Buckley, wrote in the Washington Monthly, I've been a Republican for decades, but in November's congressional election, I admit to the guilty hope that my party loses. Once my party embodied fiscal restraint, laissez-faire economics, and personal freedom. Under George W. Bush's incontinent conservatism, the GOP has come to stand for sleazy fundraising, runaway spending, and massive deficits. Abroad, the Iraqi war is a disaster. At home, social conservatives have been allowed to run amok, blocking stem cell research and barging into Terry Schiavo's hospital room like Dr. Frankenstein with defibrillator paddles. Former Reagan Justice Department official Bruce Fine and right-wing direct mail pioneer Richard Vigiri, among others, have both come out publicly in favor of voting for Democrats in November as a way of punishing the GOP for abandoning its principles. And speaking of Republican principles, we're sorry to report that uh, C.C. Goldwater will not be able to speak to us at least until January about the HBO documentary she produced about her grandfather, Senator Barry Goldwater. 
We hope you caught that on HBO last month. Uh, if not, it will be re-released uh, into academia uh, come January, and we hope we'll discuss uh, that documentary and Barry Goldwater with his granddaughter, Cece. In today's obituary section, we would note the passing of R.W. Apple Jr., the globe-trotting, larger-than-life war correspondent and editor-at-large for the New York Times. Johnny Apple often claimed, and it surely was true, that he had eaten and drunk his way around the world at the very best restaurants, all on the New York Times expense account. He was smitten with journalism as a teenager and apprenticed as, at the student newspaper at Princeton, where he was twice expelled for neglecting his studies. By the time he finally graduated from Columbia University in 1961, he was already a working journalist as a junior staffer at the Wall Street Journal. After a stint in the Army, where he wrote speeches for generals, he went to work for NBC News, winning an Emmy for his reporting on the Civil Rights Movement for the Huntley-Brinkley Report. In 1963, he moved to the New York Times, writing 73 front-page stories in his first year alone. Said the paper, Apple's career was unlike anybody else's before him or since. He served as the Times Bureau Chief in Albany, New York, Lagos, Nigeria, Nairobi, Kenya, Saigon, Moscow, London, and Washington, D.C. He covered 10 presidential elections, and in the 1960s, he oversaw the Times coverage of the Vietnam War. In a devastating front-page article in 1967, he infuriated President Lyndon B. Johnson by declaring the war a stalemate. We'd highly recommend the 1972 book, uh, The Boys on the Bus which outlined uh, the American political campaign of that year. And uh, it explained how Johnny Apple was the guy who basically everybody watched to see how he was going to cover a story because Apple was the guy that would put it in perspective and the guy who was influential in how everybody else would put things in perspective. Apple was the envy of both colleagues and competitors. He passed away last month at age 72. Let's go to the world of science for some good news. Um, according to the BBC, a vaccine to guard against the hospital superbug, methicillin-resistant Staph aureus, is a step closer to reality. MRSA is a rather nasty bug that developed in hospitals uh, where it developed a resistance to various antibiotics. It has now escaped from hospitals and is turning up out in the general population. I've seen quite a few cases... Uh, here locally in the greater Sacramento area. And uh, it's a nasty bug, and it, as we say, it is by definition uh, resistant to antibiotic. And luckily, a new, develop, a new vaccine, which was tested on mice, gave the mice between 60 and 100% immunity from the bug. Stay tuned. This is some uh, welcome news for a, um, a bacteria that uh, was getting pretty impervious to the antibiotics we've been throwing at it. So a vaccine is... Uh, it's a really good deal. And in some other good news, scientists at MIT have developed a liquid bandage, which stops bleeding in seconds. It's a gel made of minute protein molecules suspended in saline. These molecules form a tangle of fibers that staunches bleeding in about 15 seconds. Uh, the gel is biodegradable and first used to repair nerve fibers in rats. It's now been proven effective in repairing cuts and blood vessel damage. If this material has the same effect on humans, experts say it could revolutionize surgery and emergency medicine, since hemorrhaging 
is a leading cause of fatalities. And a few months back, we talked about how research into uh, marijuana and THC, its active ingredient, was going to prove uh, revolutionary. And uh, in that exact vein, it turns out that um, the THC is showing some promise in the prevention of the progression of Alzheimer's disease. Evidently, THC, the compound in marijuana that makes users high, blocks the enzyme in the brain acetylcholinesterase. That enzyme is known to accelerate the formation of abnormal protein clumps, which cause the memory loss and confusion associated with Alzheimer's disease. Researchers at the Scripps Institute here in California have found that THC was actually significantly better at preventing clump formation than most Alzheimer's drugs. Now, if you have patients uh, suffering from early dementia, obviously, uh, you know, something that's intoxicating like marijuana is not necessarily a good thing. So researchers are not advocating that people smoke dope. But certainly, uh, this research is going to allow them to create some analogs to the THC that will probably play a role in treating Alzheimer's. More good news from medicine. Now, if medicine could just cure the common cold, and I would like to note that this, uh, this horrible scratchiness in my voice is apparently not due to an infection, but to climbing around up in the roof with the dust and that horrible spray and insulation that a lot of us have up in our attics, which I think is full of fiberglass and other nasty stuff, which, uh, you know, uh, I think I'm going to get me a respirator next time. So anyway, dear listener, I do apologize for the scratchy quality of my voice on today's broadcast. Hopefully I will be better next week. Boy, this is rock and roll. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. We would like to thank our guests today, Alan Stanton and David Mather, for their contribution to what, let's face it, it's a pretty dreary election. But, you know, everyone out there, please do your civic duty and vote. We do understand uh, the viewpoint of that Irish woman who once stated that, oh, I never vote. It just encourages them. We understand the viewpoint, but we don't want you to follow the example. So hopefully we'll have some good news to report on next week's post-election program. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. We'll see you next week at the same time. <laughs>